and welcome to the Motormouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. Do you work for or run a business? You can now raise awareness and funds for urgent change by joining the Brain Tumor Charity's brand new campaign, Businesses Against Brain Tumors. By declaring yourself a business against brain tumors and taking on your very own brain power challenge, you can raise funds for vital medical research while improving your own brain health at the same time. People have shaped our world and facilitated amazing amounts of progress through business. Organizations are connecting people every day, innovating in the face of challenges like the pandemic and creating products that make up our culture. Now is the time to take that power and put it into good by beating brain tumors. And we all know there's power in numbers. Brain tumors are still the biggest cancer killer of children and adults under 40, with treatments having changed very little since the 1980s. It's no wonder when only 3% of national cancer research funding is spent on brain tumors. So it's down to the charity and its community of amazing supporters to urgently enact change. Look for the Brain Tumor Charity on social media to find out how you, your colleagues and your business can be the difference we need to see to defeat brain tumors for good. Motormouth is proud to be officially partnered with the Brain Tumor Charity, so a huge thank you for your support. If you can donate anything, you can also do that through the motormouth.club website or through the Brain Tumor Charity Direct, and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor. It's season nine, and we're really excited to be teaming up with Roading Cars, based in New Zealand but with a new HQ open in Donington Park in the UK. Owning the Roden FZ gives you the keys to experience a whole new level of driving performance. A super car like no other, giving you the chance to feel pure driving pleasure. Designed for easy maintenance, you could own the F1 lifestyle and strive for that perfect lap time with the Roden FZ. There's plenty of purchasing options, including after-sale partnership, where your Roden FZ is looked after on and off track by an official Formula racing team, storage, and exclusive track access to Roden's very own circuit in New Zealand. With Roden and the Roden FZ, you experience so much more than just owning an open-wheel high-performance supercar. For more information on Roden and how you can get involved, visit roden-cars.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now today's guest was born in St Albans and later headed down to Farnham in Surrey. Now St Albans is just a stone's throw away from where I am now and do you know who else hails from St Albans, Harry Benjamin? Do you? Do you? What? Who? Like, do I have a clue? Uh... Yeah, you can have a clue. Um, he was super intelligent, was super intelligent. Not Stephen Hawking. Correct, Stephen Hawking. He's, no way. He hails from St Albans. Um, and he actually studied at St Albans School from 1952. He also, slightly strangely, studied at St Albans High School for Girls for a few months because they were accepting younger boys into certain houses at that time. But, Harry, do you happen to know where Hawking radiation emanates from what where it where it emanates from think about it what did he study like what was his fascination physics and like the world and and, and the spe- outer space space and all that what yeah space space um what the you, moon <laughs> which, what, what's massive has big mass that you get oh, black Ray. holes black holes black holes black holes there we go there correct we go. that is where that radiation comes from black holes 
Um, they radiate this energy known as Hawking radiation uh, while gradually losing mass. And this is down to quantum effects near the edge of the black hole, a region called the Event Horizon, which incidentally is the title of a 1997 science fiction film starring Lawrence Fishburne set in 1947 following a crew of astronauts sent on a rescue mission to chase down a ship called the Event Horizon. But... Before I spiral into my very own black hole of tenuous links, shall I bring in today's guest? Yeah, where's the link? That's what I... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. There, is, there isn't one. So today we're joined by Trevor Carlin, the man behind one of the biggest race teams in the world. He's a man that has nurtured an enviable conveyor belt of stars, including Sebastian Vettel, Daniel Ricciardo, Lando Norris, K-Mag, Carlos Sainz, and many more. His teams have competed in F4, F3, F2, ALMS, Indy Lights, IndyCar, to name a few, and enjoyed over 1,000 podiums and 400 wins. It's an incredible story and achievement. We're here to find out more, delving into his life, career, thoughts and opinions. Trevor Carlin, welcome to the Motor Podcast. Hi, guys. I'm uh, very happy to be here. I'm not, definitely not in a black hole. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard no, Thank you. Thank you for joining us, Trevor. Go on, but let's clarify. So where are you at the moment? It looks like, from your background, are you in Carlin headquarters with lots of trophies I, I behind am. you? Yeah, I'm down in uh, Farnham in Surrey, which is um, Carlin Europe, sort of HQ. Um, we've been, been down here for 10 years. And we were sort of previously in uh, all the shots, and then we had a factory uh, in Chessington. Um, but you know, we were um, when I started Carlin, we were we were based in Woking, um, uh, pretty much on the site where McLaren now is. It was just oh. an old barn, just a shed, but that's where that's where the the uh, nucleus of Carlin began ah, underneath, their, underneath their lake. I think it actually ah, was. God. <laughs> it's like something out of Batman. That place. Uh, yeah, where, uh, it's like a bat cave. There's, uh, there's fish in that lake. Actually, I do have a tenuous link. Um, so Farnham, where Carlin is, is is now based, I used to play tennis in Farnham at a place called the Bourne Club. So there you go. There you go. There you go. There you go. Well, who doesn't know the Bourne Club? Um, And Tim and his tennis. Um, But Trevor, well, that that was the early life of of Carlin. But what what about you? Where, when, you know, what was early life like for you? Because what we do, and I say this at the start of nearly every single episode, we like to go back right to the start with our guests and find out what that sort of trigger was to to getting you interested in, in racing, in motorsport, in cars. Was that always there or did it just develop? Um, well, the, the cars thing. I mean, cars are, I suppose, in my in my family's blood. My uh, my granddad had car dealerships and petrol stations back in the fifties and sixties. Um, then my uncles, uh, Vic Holman, Steve Holman, um, they they worked with my granddad. Um, and then my uncle Vic, he went to work. Um, he he loved. He wanted to be a race driver, so he had a mini. Um, he did some auto crossing and stuff like that. So he loved his cars. Um, he he then uh, went to work for a Formula Ford company called Hawk Racing Cars, um, which were a big big team. Um, manufactured lots of cars and sold lots of cars. Um, it was going very well. They they then tried to build an F3 car, which didn't which didn't work. And my uncle Vic got a bit disillusioned with it, um, and decided to set up his own Formula Ford company, as you do, um, in the in the late seventies. Um, he, he partnered up with uh, Derek Daly, who the you know became a Formula One driver. Derek was an F3 driver at the time. Derek became our sort of a, or not not it wasn't me. I wasn't involved then, but he became the salesperson for PRS. And that uh, company, PRS, was based in St Albans, um, and it was a hundred yards from my house. So that sort of um, 
where I, I used to go and hang out at the weekends with the guys and uh, during after school. So I just used to see the race cars being built, you know, from scratch. They did everything, built the chassis and made the whole thing. Um, so I was sort of involved in it very early, but, you know, I was still at school. Yeah. Um, it, it wasn't until I was 18 that I was uh, um, unexpectedly out of work. Um, so I just went to chat to the guys and I said, if you need anything doing, full sweeping, van driving, stuff like that, I'll do it. Um, they said, well, actually, we, we need, a, need some gearboxes picking up from Hewland in Maidenhead. Um, they threw me the keys to the van and uh, sort of gave me a rough address and off I went. You know, there was no sat-nav or mobile phones in those days, so jumped in the van and off I went. Um, so I got halfway there, realised the van had no fuel in it, which was fairly normal because, um, you know, it was a small team and there was no money, but... Uh, um, Managed to find a fiver in my back pocket and filled it up, and uh, and that's how it started. And then I, I was it was a busy time of the year for them, um, so I sort of stayed around, and um, yeah, that was my beginning in in, in motor racing. And, um, and do you think pretty basic? Do you think? I mean, we, it's it's not dissimilar to other stories we've heard um, from from people who have who have sort of made their way up through the sport um, through slightly different means. But do do you think that those days are gone? Like, do you, if if a young chap. 1718 came and knocked on your door in Farnham and said, look, what can I just help out? You know, pay me diddly squat and uh, I'll make the tea for you, you know, see how things go. Would you, does that happen anymore? Would you accept that? It, it, it happens all the time here at Carlin. Um, anyone that's got the right attitude and comes along, we, we've got, there's one one lad, um, he's not he's not with us now, um, a lad called George Paul. Um, he, he, he lived, he was a next door neighbour to one of my chief engineers, um, he, he wanted a job here, but I didn't have any jobs. So he just said, could he come in? Um, so he came in every day with this engineer, got a lift in. And he he worked here for a whole year unpaid. Wow. Um, and did a good, good job. Of course, he was a real rookie, knew nothing. But at the end of the year, I needed a number two mechanic um, for F3. So I offered him the job. And he's he's that was 10 years ago. And he's now, um, he's at Haas Formula One. Wow. Wow. As a, number one, as, as a number one mechanic. So um, it does still happen. Um, and we, we, it, it's, all, it's all about people's attitude. You know, we've people come in and work hard, then we give them a chance. That is super cool. We've got Harry. We should interview him. He sounds like a, a, another yeah. good one. Uh, I'm going <laughs> to fast forward through some of those early years and, and, um, and move through to, um, well, post-1989, um, after winning the Macau Grand Prix with David Brabham, you passed through West Surrey Racing, where you oversaw the racing programs with the likes of uh, Pedro de la Rosa. Um, but the really sort of, I suppose, life-changing moment for you came in 1996 when you formed Carlin Motorsport um, with very little money to your name at that point. How, how did that moment come about? What was the mindset? What made you take the jump? Um, well, it, it, it was never a plan. You know, I never, I never expected to... Uh... To, to have my own team it was never the intention. I quite liked being um, a team manager and have a you know a, a boss like Steve Holman was my boss, Dick Bennett was my boss, and I liked being the guy that organised everything beneath them. Um, and I was very happy with that. Um, but at the end of um, uh, 1996, uh, my good friend uh, Anthony Hyatt uh, Boyo is his nickname. He uh, runs Double R Racing. Um, he was. Uh, We've got a great friend, Rob Wilson, who's the driver coach. You've probably heard of him. Um, he, he had a young driver who wanted to do Formula 3. And um, the, the dad wanted to do it 
through his business and so for tax reasons and stuff like that. So um, Rob asked Boyo if me and Boyo would be interested in um, running this kid. Um, I had a truck and pit equipment because I've been doing a pit stop challenge thing for Williams based at Mizzen's Farm, which is now McLaren. Um, so I just phoned Rob up. I said, hey, Rob, you know, I can put a team together for you, for your lad. Um, he said, okay, and he organised a meeting with me and the father. Um, I then um, knew another chap who was had a, had a small race team and he wanted to sell up all his equipment and things. So I said to him, I said, I'll tell you what, if you let me borrow your workshop one evening when everyone's gone, I can, I can tell somebody that all this stuff's mine, um, pretend this is my base. Um, if I get the deal, I'll buy everything off you. Um, so he said yes. I had um, Mr. Stanton, a guy called Tony Stanton, uh, come down to visit me. I showed him this workshop. He said, oh, yeah, here's my place. and uh, All we need is a car, and we're ready to go. And um, he said, okay, let's do it. Oh, amazing. And that, and, and, that, and that was it. You know, um, but the, the, the funniest thing was because uh, obviously, um, because I'm running it for this chap, uh, Henry Stanton and his father, um, I said, what do you want to call the team? You know, it's your project. And they said, oh, no, we don't, don't want our name in it or anything like that. He said, call it what you like. So I spent, um, I spent about a week going through my auto courses and all my car magazines and things, looking at team names. And um, what I didn't want to do, I didn't want to have a name with initials in it. So I thought that was a sort of little bit naff. Um, and, and I actually didn't want to call it after myself. Um, so I was just going through all the course. And, and I, every time I looked at the su- successful teams, you know, Ferrari, McLaren, Brabham, um, they were all named after the team owner or team principal. So I thought, oh, what the hell? And I just capitulated and just called it Carlin Motorsport. Um I think you missed a trick there. I think Team Trevor would have gone down. Um, <laughs> I, I was going to go TC, TC Racing, you know. Oh, yeah. Top, top, top cap, because I particularly didn't want the initial thing because people can make rude uh, connotations. Exactly. You'd never hear the end of it in that way. Well, I mean, what a, an amazing start. It's almost a bit sort of like fake it till you make it, and you made it very quickly. Uh, did yeah. you have... But once you, you know the wheels are in motion, you said that you know you didn't really have a plan at the start. I suppose not very many people do. You're just sort of following the flow and seeing where it goes. But um, once you know things are people are joining your team and you're, you're sort of signing these deals and you're going on to actually race. Was there a plan developing? Did you have your eye on various championships from the start? Um, we, we were just wanting to um, do F3 because that's what we'd known and loved since mm. you know the, the, the mid '80s, effectively. Um, we knew about Formula 3 because there was myself, uh, Boyo, Anthony Hyatt, and a, a very famous uh, engineer called Bruce Carey, who was our chief engineer. Um, and, and what he didn't know about F3 is not worth knowing. So we were F3 specialists. Um, it's what we wanted to do. It's what we loved. Um, and and, then it's, and it's, turned, it's turned out okay, really. So... Uh, it's incredible because, yeah, I mean, I'm just looking at the stats here. I think it's roughly you've competed in over 22 different championships and 400 race wins, over 200 drivers through your door. It's incredible. And anybody who has the Sky Sports F1 package will doubtless see you and Corinne Chandler <laughs> repeatedly chatting it out when they're trying to fill the airwaves. But you have brought... Um, through some obviously amazing talents, some big names, some not so big names, and just a few to name, Vettel, Ricardo, Norris, Sainz, Magnussen, Kvyat, Kvitsa, Davidson, Aldrichwari, uh, Vern, Sato, and even Alan Vandermeer, the uh, the F1 medical car driver. 
Yep. You say in in past interviews, you know, it, it, you think when picking a driver, it, it's down to to gut feeling, but it, it's surely there's more to it than that. Obviously, if you put the money thing to to one side, what what, what are you looking for? What, what does the driver need to to display to you? And obviously, speed, raw speed, and things like that. But are there any sort of nuances that you tend to sort of uncover? Um, well, what, when we first started out, our first um, <clears throat> proper time that we got started getting some, some results was uh, the end of 1998 with uh, Narain Kartikeyan, um, yeah. the, 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 the little sl- slight Indian driver. Um, and Narain's style was he, he used to just drive flat out, um, very happy with a car that had massive oversteer, high-speed <laughs> oversteer. Um, and it was ex- really exciting to watch. Um and, and fast. So that was our style of driver. We liked someone really exciting. And we, we ran the rain um, at the end of 96, no, the end of 98 and in 99. Got some good results, won a couple of races with him and sort of put ourselves on the map. And then while we were doing uh, 1999, at the end of the year, we were testing down at Pembury, which we used to spend a lot of time down there. Um, a very high-speed corner onto the main straight, a, a, a corner called Honda, and Carter Kane would always come round fully sideways, you know, 135 mile an hour. Really exciting. And on this one particular test day, uh, there was another team there called Diamond Racing uh, running their B-class car. And all of a sudden, this uh, white and orange car came round the corner at the same sort of speed and, and sideways, exactly the same as Narain. And we thought, God, you know, who's that? You know, he looks good. And uh, and we timed him and his lap times were okay. And then we found out that was Takuma Sato. Oh. Um, so me and Boyo looked at each other and I said, right, we need to get him. Um, so we went and spoke to his manager and, um, and we managed to get him. And, we, and the reason we wanted uh, Takuma, A, we loved his driving style, but we wanted to, um, we saw the way to becoming a bigger team was to get a strong link with a manufacturer. And Takuma being Japanese was supported by Honda. So we thought if we could make Takuma the first international driver's champion it would help us on our path with honda um we we, we managed to to win the championship with takuma um did a great job um, um it didn't really take us anywhere with honda because i think they're in in that period their interest in motor racing was waning a little bit become very corporate um but you know it put us on the map and uh, put takuma on the map so it, it did work but that's what we we, we like drivers who have got a bit of fire and passion in them and, and of course we like drivers that, that, that are fast and win. So yeah. that's the you know, basic stuff, I suppose. And presumably, you know, as, as, a, as a team boss and all the staff that work with you are always on the lookout for new drivers that you can place into your teams. Um, but Carlin, being the beast that it is today, I expect you get approached left, right and centre from team, uh, from uh, driver managers, drivers themselves, mums, dads, all looking for a race seat. It, it, is that the case? Do you get inundated? Is it a challenge to filter through all those inter- inbound requests? Um, yes and no. I mean, you know, some year, it depends on the, the results you've had the previous year. Um, if you've done well, then you've got a queue of people wanting to uh, knock on the door and sign up with you. Then you have to take value judgments on talent, experience. Um, if they're going to have longevity, they're going to be around a while. Um, and, and that's something, as, as, as I've said, it's, I, I do with gut feeling now because I've been doing this for sort of 20, 20 odd years. Um, so I get a feel for somebody. The, the, the other thing, and it's very important uh, to me, um, is that we, we get drivers that are, um, that are nice people. Yeah. 
um, and their parents are nice or their managers are nice because we're not, uh, you know, this is, this is a job. Um, everybody in the whole team worked very hard um, and we do our best for our customers. What we don't like is these people that are moaning and complaining and um, slagging us off and things like that. We want, we like to work for our customers um, and, and enjoy it with them. So their personality also has a, a big part to play. Yeah, absolutely. And has that guy ever let you down? Is there what, are there drivers that have slipped through that you thought, ah, oh, I was, I nearly had him and he's gone on to, to wonderful things. Well, there, there, there's a, there's one massive example, and he didn't he didn't really slip through my fingers. Uh, I suppose he did in a way. Um, I can't. I've got all my years are a bit of a muddle, but I suppose it might have been. Uh, you'd know better than me. End of twenty, either the end of twenty fourteen or end of twenty thirteen. Um, I'd signed up all my drivers uh, for the following year for F three European Championship, um, and. Um, uh, Jos Capito came to visit me because he was at Boston Volkswagen Motorsport at, at the time. And he, he came to visit me and we were chatting. And he said to me, Oh, Trevor, um, and this, this was December, so just before Christmas. And he said, Right, is there anything you can do? Uh, I've got a driver I need you to look at trying to run. He hasn't got a full budget, um, but could you run him? And I said, Well, no, I'd, we're full. I can't run anyone else. The, the regulations won't allow it. And uh, I said, Oh, who is it? And he said, Oh, Max Verstappen. Oh. I was like, oh, shit. Because, because we'd, the, a couple of weeks previously, we'd been at Valencia um, testing our F3 cars, and Max had been there doing his first ever F3 test and he was with Motor Park, and he was absolutely rapid. Um, and we could see it, and we're like, oh. So when we had that, you know, um, yeah, we, 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 we were full, I and mean, we had good drivers, and we were happy, and we actually beat Max in the championship. He drove for Van Amersfoort, we, and uh, we we had Tom Blomqvist, and we finished second. Um, so it was a um, yeah missed opportunity, and, and I think if we'd had Max, I think we would have won because he had a lot of unreliability issues with um, with his team. Um, so yeah, so that's the one um, I'd have loved to have because he's you know, he's obviously a standout standout talent. We'll um, we'll come on to a bit of F1 chat in a minute, but I just want to hop over the pond firstly to uh, the United States, where um, you you well you've been making a name for yourself over there as well in the last few years. You've got a base there now in America. How did that move start? Because it was Indy Lights, wasn't it first, and that's now developed into an Indy car team. Yeah, we basically the way the way Carlin has grown over the years um, is, is quite organically and we, we started off with six or seven of us um, in the very beginning back in the 90s um, and um, but I had some really really good people um, and when you've got good people they're, they're ambitious and they want to move on and do something else so the reason the team grew from F3 to World Series by Renault is because I, I had a team manager that wanted to move on so instead of losing him we did another championship to keep him and that worked well the same thing happened with America. We had um, um, we started out, we had a GP2 team, which was going very well. Um, had a chap called Colin Hale, who was our sort of team manager of uh, uh, GP2, a brilliant bloke. Um, he, at this day, he'd done three years. Um, at the end of 2014, he'd done three years of GP2, and same deal. He was getting a little bit bored and of uh, doing the same thing. And I'd always wanted to um, have do the Indy 500 as a team. And of course you can't just walk into America and buy an Indy car and go into do the Indy 500. It's ridiculous. But uh, I also knew there was going to be a brand new Indy lights car for 2015. 
So um, it's a, always a good time to enter a new category when it's a brand new car because the other teams haven't quite got the uh, the advantage. So I made a team deal. I made a couple of phone calls um, to some people I knew in America. One particular chap, a guy called Chris Dyson, who owns a sports car team, um, he, he said he'd quite happily um, buy a couple of new cars and lease them to us. So that's useful. We've got some cars at a good starting point. He had a beautiful workshop um, in a place called Poughkeepsie in New York State. Um, so I went to visit that, and that was fabulous. It was a huge place in a beautiful... I went, I went there in August, so it was a, it was a beautiful spot. Um, Brian Herter was talking to me about Colton doing F4 with us, um, and he, he didn't really have much money, but he said, listen, Trevor, I've got a truck. If, you wanted, if you're doing Indy Lights, I could give you the truck um, <laughs> as... A, as a down payment for Colton's budget. I said, okay. So all of a sudden, I've got a workshop, I've got two cars, and I've got a truck. Um, so we're in business. Colin was up for it. Um, so that was it. That's how we started Indy Lights. Um, and um, then Ed Jones, who was doing F3 with us, wanted to go to America. He heard the rumours. He signed up. And that was that's how we became an Indy Lights team. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, Rodin Cars. Rodin are a bespoke formula-style supercar manufacturer based in New Zealand. With their vehicle offering, this is the only place where you can truly live the F1 lifestyle. With the easy-to-run, easy-to-maintain, and even easier-to-drive Rodin FZ, you can live the dream of hunting down those final tenths of lap time whilst being fully supported by the team at Rodin, who will provide you with after-sale care, storage options, exclusive use of their incredible track in New Zealand, and courtesy of Formula Racing Team High Grand Prix will run, set up and maintain your vehicle on and off the track. The Rodin FZ is a vehicle like no other. Perfect for any true car aficionado in search for that elite performance. To find out more, head to rodin-cars.com. Yeah, um, it's amazing. And it's all the rest is history, really. Uh, Ed Jones, I remember when he started in, in uh, over there with you and he, he made an immediate impact. Seriously quick driver, very impressive. And I, I was tracking um, Carlin's progress quite a lot because at the time I was managing Max Chilton and his brother Tom. Oh, of course you were. Course so you were. Um, yeah. I, uh, I I was tracking that whole thing quite a lot. And Max dipped his toe into Indy Lights and helped with some development and stuff for you guys. And and yeah, um, yeah. and obviously is still there now. And and he's had his success over there as well. I mean he I think it was the year before he joined you guys when he was still with Chip Ganassi and he he was running fourth or fifth in the Indy Five Hundred for for. A, quite a while well, he, he, and he, no, led he, he led it yeah he, he led. led it he, he led, led for loads of laps and ended yeah. up fourth or fifth and yeah, um, yeah. i remember because it was the, it was like a week after i'd stopped working with him and uh, <laughs> i was like oh, oh, classic you know the, the week after i stopped working with him he basically nearly wins the indy 500 and makes a packet uh, yeah. but um <laughs> no it's it's an amazing story and um, and it's great to see a british team um out there and and making progress how were you welcomed in the US when when this whole process was going on? I mean, did they welcome you as a sort of not an outsider, but a, you know, a foreign team essentially coming into the series? And 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 also, do you find it frustrating at all that um, British fans don't necessarily follow enough American motorsport and know that there's a, a very very successful British team competing um, at the front of the grid in in IndyCar? Um, well, so your your first point. I mean, with the um, we were we were met quite quite warmly by the other teams. Certainly, the organisers were very pleased to have us there because it gave the championship a, a boost um, and opened up a bit of an international awareness to Indy Lights. 
the other teams were, um, I can't say they were over the moon, um, because we turned up and we everything we had was all new and shiny and um, we did things in a European style, which is quite different um, to, to the way the Americans do it. I wouldn't necessarily say it's better, it's just different. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I think we were we were met with some caution. Um, of course, I don't think they liked us too much once the season started because we won the first three races on the trot. Um which, you know, one of them was, circ- the third one was circumstances, but the other two we just absolutely dominated. Um, and they, they actually then, because we, f- we found something on the car which gave us a nice little performance boost, which for race three they then um, told everybody else about. Um, so we, we lost our advantage. Um, so they, they, were, they weren't hostile, but I wouldn't say they were. We, we didn't go down the pub with them, put it like that. Um, <laughs> and, and, and the other thing, the, the people, uh, it's obvious, but it, it's not so obvious, is that, that America is such a big country. Um, most, um, most of the teams are all spread out. You know, there's a load in Indy, but the rest of them all spread around, and they could be a 1,000 miles apart. So there's no real interaction between the teams when you're not at the circuit. So you don't build up those relationships. Like in the UK, it's really a small country, but you know, you've got 200 miles between all the teams in the, in the whole country. So we, be, we develop relationships and friendships. But over there, because it's so big, you don't get that bond. Um, so, and then what was your next bit? I've, I've forgotten what your... So have I. What was it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I suppose, you know, what, what does... I'll... I'll... Save you both. Thanks. Uh, what does the um, what does the future hold for for Carl in in, in IndyCar? Because obviously, you know, w- when you're a one car team as well as you have been a few times, uh, well, for the predominant of it of this season, uh, that can prove difficult, can't it? Because you only got you know one set of data, one driver going round. So, what what does the future hold for for you guys in IndyCar? Um, yeah, I mean, I can't uh, I can't lie. It's not. It hasn't been easy the mm. last year. Um, we, you know, we, we're on our own. Um, we, we don't have the biggest budget. Uh, IndyCar is absolutely um, uh, riding the crest of a wave at the moment. Um, you know, we've got massive grids. Um, there's a lot of investment. You've got McLaren that have gone in there um, and done a brilliant job and, and spent a ton of money and got some good drivers. Um, it's, it's getting harder and harder for us as a privateer um, foreign team um, to, uh, one car team, as you said, uh, to, to compete. So we're still trying to get sponsorship and things together for next year, but it's uh, um, it's far from certain that we'll compete. You know, we're, we're trying to put something together, but, um, you know, we, we don't want to keep doing it, and Max doesn't want to keep doing it if we're going to P18 P every race. There's, there's no point. So it's very expensive. Um, it's a lot of work. Um, so it will, you know, we'll, we'll take a judgment call probably later in the year on, on what direction we go. But it's uh, yeah, far from certain what we're doing. Oh, well. well, I think we'll all be hoping that it, it does come yeah. off because we all love watching, uh, you know, Carl in, in IndyCar and mixing it uh, when you know when you can. And, and you know, it'd be great to see them back again uh, for the next season. And it, it's really boosted IndyCar and made it more of an international um, championship. Though it's massive anyway, but IndyCar is really sort of year on year I think it's uh, getting bigger and bigger especially over here uh, but F1 of course still as many say the pinnacle of motorsports has that ever been on your mind a Carlin F1 team or is that just so far beyond possibility um, well I mean it's, it's obviously beyond our reach as a, as a privateer team to fund an F1 team the, the only way it could ever have happened was if we'd, um, if we'd been a wealthy individual 
um, that wanted to bankroll a team and invest in us to take us to F1. Now, um, back in the, the mid-noughties, um, um, I, I got a letter or a fax or something from Max Mosley's office um, <clears throat> asking if he could have, have a meeting with us. And I, and I replied and phoned and said, yes, happy to. I said, do you want me to come to London to, to see Max? Um, and he said, oh, no, I'll come to Aldershot, which is where we were based then. Um, so he, he drove down himself, he arrived in a little Toyota Prius, and, and he came, came in our tiny little office, um, and we sat there and just chatted, and he asked, so why is a team like yourselves not trying to get into Formula One? And I explained the financial limitations and implications, and he sort of got it. And I think that was part of his drive to try and get the cost down. You know, he was the first one that you know, wanted the cost cap. Um, and it was, you know, rebuffed by all the teams for whatever reason, for year after year after year. So I think it's fantastic that uh, the FIA and Liberty have finally forced this cost cap through. And, um, you know, F1 is just going to have a fantastic decade, I think, because the teams are going to, you know, the, the teams are actually going to start making a profit. Um, which they which they haven't ever done, you know. It's just a massive black hole. Um, but the teams are actually going to make some money. Um, the, enter, the the grids are going to be closer now with the new car, hopefully. Um, so you know, I, it's um, we it's beyond the realms of uh, normal people to do Formula One. Yeah, it's just it's just impossible. I mean, it's, it's um, still it's still a huge amount of money, isn't it? I mean, it, even with the cost cap, you know, one hundred and forty five million dollars is is not exactly pocket change. Um, but if if that situation did come about and someone with very deep pockets turned up at your door and was like, I like what you're doing here, come on, let's take you to F1 and wanted to invest their money in you, uh, presumably Carlin would be open to that. Yeah, but it'd but it have to be a customer car scenario. And that was the thing. That's the thing we've always wanted to do is, is run a customer car because then because what we, you know, to, to set up a factory like Mercedes or Red Bull, um, you need a thousand people, you need a huge mm. factory. It, it costs just cost me hundreds of millions to set that facility up. Yeah. But if you're just running cars, effectively, you just need a big workshop um, and you're servicing parts and rebuilding them and it's a logistics centre. Um, but uh, if, if it wasn't, if, if you couldn't do it with customer cars, there'd be no point whatsoever. Hypothetical question for you, though. <laughs> Say you you were in Formula One. <laughs> Sorry, this we normally save the random questions till the end. But right. say, you, say you had your team in F1. Who would, who would be your two drivers? Who would you pick? Um, well, I mean, it's always, in my mind, it's always uh, trying to get Carlin graduates. Um, I'd, ha- I'd, I'd, ha- I'd have to have Lando. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, just because we had him, we ran him in F4, we ran him in F3 and ran him in F2. So Got to um, complete it, yeah. You'd, you'd love to have him in F1. Um, and he's super fast. He's super competitive. He's a wonderful young man. Um, like a real pleasure to be around and work with. Um so Lando would, would definitely be in there. Um, I, I, I don't know, Max, I suppose. Yeah, it's quite <laughs> it have to be Max. The one that got away. The one that got away. Yeah. I've, got, uh, look, I've, got, I've actually got Lando's helmet here. Oh, very nice. Fan boys. Just a little giveaway. Yeah, maybe give that one away. Um, No, that's interesting. I think, well, that would be a hell of a lineup, wouldn't it? Um, And you mentioned Liberty Media there. Um, Presumably, you think they've done a good job. I mean, when they first came in, everyone was slightly sceptical, wasn't sure which direction they were going to go in. Obviously, digital first. But it feels like they've done a decent job. Do you agree? Yeah, absolutely. I agree with what you said. When they first came in, I was a little bit apprehensive because they 
Um, they increased their staff count in London, and they went from, you know, uh, FOM being 10 people to all of a sudden there's 100 people. And I was wondering if they really got it, you know, but actually what they did do, and it, it's um, absolutely with the, with the times, they went with digital, with social media, um, and, of course, the Netflix thing, which I'm sure they were part of instigating, um, has taken the thing to a whole new level. So, mm. um, yeah, Chase Carey, those guys really, um, after initial doubts, have really smashed it out of the park. It's uh, um, it's a great job. And, and I think it's a, it's a golden era for Formula 1. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's, it feels like it's a funny stage for me at the moment because the, the, the F1 teams are sort of matured with the current regulations and got to that point, as they tend to do in Formula 1 before they change the regs, where everyone is starting to come together and the racing is really close and exciting. And then obviously, then next year, we're bringing in all these new regulations, which is going to basically reset the sport. Is this a good thing? Are we going to, as fans, going to see even better racing or is this going to muck it all up all over again? Um, well, it's, 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 you're, you're dead right. It's going to shuffle the order around again. Um, and I think there will be a bigger gap from the front of the, of the, of the field to the back. But if, if the cars, as promised, are easier to, to run closer, um, the racing itself will be very good. Um, but you can't argue with how great it is this year because you've got obviously got the one of the best battles ever for first and second. Um, and then they've got a brilliant midfield battle uh, between your, you know, your Ferraris and McLarens and Alfa Tauris. So um, it's going to be hard to be better than this year, but that's, you know, maybe in two years' time or three years' time, it will be far better than it is now. So, you know, I think we have a little bit of pain for a year um, and then it will be back on track. Well, we can uh, all cross our fingers. And just sort of uh, staying on, on the topic of F1 and, and drivers, especially your, your, I suppose one of your most recent graduates is uh, Yuki Tsunoda to, to Formula One. Um, he's, he's had his ups and downs this season and uh, had a bit of harsh criticism from the boss man out in uh, Mexico, which I think a lot of people disagreed with. But how have you sort of been watching Yuki this year? Because it hasn't been an easy introduction to Formula One for him. No, I... I, I... You know, I feel a bit sorry for him in a way because uh, um, he, you know, he's he's very inexperienced. You know, he did a couple of years in regional F4 in Japan, then straight into international F3, um, where he did brilliantly at. You know, he really punched above his weight. Then he came into F2 um, and nearly won the championship as a rookie. So I think his expectations and hopes were really, really high. And and the first session he did in F1, he was quick. Um, then of course, sort of a Literally, the wheels fell off um, at quite regular uh, um, occurrences. Um, so, and I think that dented his confidence. And then, and then, of course, what's what's really stood out to me this year um, is how well uh, Pierre Gasly has performed. Um, he has absolutely been superb. Um, and having run uh, Yuki and knowing how fast he is, and the fact that it's it's eighteen nil in qualifying to Pierre really puts puts over how well Pierre's done. So, you know, hats off to him. Um, but Yuki will, he'll creep up on it. I, I know he's going to get a second year next year. Um, and, you know, he's got a, he's got a lot to prove next season or, or, you know, he'll be, he'll be out the door helmet or replacing with someone else. Yeah, well, as we all know, it's a, it's a brutal system there. But I think, you know, on, on recent form, it's starting to come back to him by the looks of it. So hopefully you can carry that through to the rest of the season and into a better um, next year. Um, now back back to you and and Carlin. 
I know we've spoken, you know, about the championships you've done and what might be in the future, but what does the next, you know, five, ten years look like for Carl? And is it very much a, a keep going in, in all, all your various championships or are there any big plans on the horizon? Um, I, w- I wouldn't say there's any big plans on the horizon. What we'd, what we'd like to do, um, given the right opportunity, is to move into, uh, into prototypes properly and long term. Um, obviously, we'd need to start out uh, in LMP2 um, and earn our stripes. So that, that would be a, a, um, a, a short to medium term ambition for us um, because we have a lot of drivers that do our ladder, F4, F3, F2. Um, a few of them get to F1. The rest of them then have to split up and go and do either IndyCar or sports cars. And it'd be very nice if we could keep some of them in our own LMP2 team. So mm. that would be our target. And if we did a good enough job in that for three or four years, then maybe there'd be a chance of the new LMDH project. So that would be something realistically what we'd like to look at doing. Um, but it's, you know, nothing's nothing's in, set in stone yet. Now, um, let's change tack slightly. Um, moving away just for a moment from motorsport, what are you absolutely shit at? What are you crap at? Well, most things, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> Can you cook? Um, cook? Not really, because whenever I go to cook, there's, there's not everything there I need to do it. So I get frustrated, <laughs> frustrated and I can't, I can't freestyle. I can only read a menu, uh, a recipe, sorry. So I can't cook. Um, what am I shit at? <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think it's, it's just, I'm not, I'm not very good at anything really apart from racing. Oh, it served um, you well. Everything, everything else I am fairly shit at. Um, <laughs> I, I, I don't do a lot else. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's uh, your life and passion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, um, sort of, it's, it's all encompassing really. Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, I'm shit at taking time off. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people could, who work in motorsport could probably relate uh, to that a lot. I, don't, um, I, just don't, I, I just don't know what to do when I get a, a weekend no. off. I just don't know what to do. Um, a week, a week, yeah, you, yeah, because literally every every weekend is racing. People don't understand that who don't work in, in motorsport. You, just, yeah. you know, a weekend off is the most bizarre thing in the world. Um, You've we've we've barked on about it loads. Obviously, a million drivers you've worked for. Who is the? Have we asked this question already? I can't remember. Who is the best driver you've worked for? Have we asked that yet? No, no. I'm not sure we have. That's it, it, absolutely. I've been asked it loads of times, and it's an impossible <laughs> question to answer. Um, they're, they're every, all of them, maybe two or three, um, maybe not, but all of them have, have got you know good things about them. Um, mm. They've all been important to our history. Um, it'd be really really unfair to pick anyone because it's. You know, um, in theory, it should be Kartikeyan because he won our first race. But then it, should it be Sato because he won our first championship? Um, or should it be um, Lando Norris because he won our, you know, yeah. he won yeah. a of stuff? So it's, it's impossible to say. It's, uh, um, but they're all fabulous. Um, um, and we've enjoyed, you know, having them with us and them being part of our journey. And let's take that, that point one step further. It, who, who should we be looking out for as motorsport fans? Is there anyone in your current stable that we, that we should keep an eye on? Or is there anyone that you really want to get that you think is going to come through the ranks and make uh, perhaps be the next Verstappen? Um, it, it's, yeah, it's, 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 hard, it's hard to say, really. Um, we've, you know, they're all, um, they all develop at different points. Um, We've uh, had a fabulous little driver um, um, the last couple of years with us, a, a young lad called Zach O'Sullivan, mm-hmm. who um, narrowly lost out the F4 championship last year, and he, he dominated the British F3 championship this season. Um, 
and he's still only 16 years old. Um, he's really, really intelligent, very clever, um, really knows his job, his craft. I mean, he, he's like a 25-year-old when you talk to him. He's so knowledgeable and detailed. He knows far more about what's going on than most of the people in the team. Uh, so, um, They're getting younger by the year Sorry. as well, it yeah. seems. <laughs> it, it, it is quite incredible. I mean, it, I, was, I was talking to his... We won the championship at Donington about a month ago, and I was just chatting to his dad, and I said, um, his dad drives him around everywhere. I said, well, when's he doing his test? Um, he said, well, he's not 17 till next year, Drew. And, it, and of course, it dawned on me, you know, he, he's still so young. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that, that's the funniest thing because, <laughs> you know, um, when, when I was at West Surrey doing Formula 3 um, back in the early 93, our driver was a, a Belgian lad called Vincent Rademacher. Um, he was 26 years old. Mm. Yeah, doing British F3. So, yeah. you know, it's how, how things have changed. And, you know, now they're 16 years old. Yeah. Um, but, so they're, but they're so they're so together as well. I mean, I I know from my driver management days that you, you speak to these young drivers and they've got their heads screwed on. You know, they they know what they're doing. They know how to deal with the media. They, you know, they know all about sponsorship and how the game works. It's it's amazing that they've got that sort of focus and and can actually just get in a car and race competitively at sixteen. I mean, when I think what I was doing at sixteen, there's absolutely no way on earth. I, I was a headless chicken. It's the Max Verstappen effect, isn't it? Yeah. Ever since he came on the scene, it's just been a whole wave of, of young talent. And, and that's been fairly consistent, I'd, I'd argue, since then. Yeah. Um, well, even, even before, because like Algaswari was, I think of he, was course. Eight, he was 18 when he got yeah. to the F1. And Vettel was super young. So yeah, the trend had started. Obviously, Max just blew the whole thing out of the water. Yeah. Um, but you know, a, a good example of how together these kids are is... Uh, uh, Colton Herter, when he when he came over here at the beginning of 2015, um, he was still 14 years old, um, and, his, and Brian just sent him over on his own. Wow! Um, we sort of we found him a family to go and live with. Um, <laughs> so he was, he was just over here on his own. No, it's it's um, not the same. The same with um, JM uh, Correa. He he he, yes. he was the same. Yeah. We had him on a couple a few weeks ago. His stories unbelievable if you haven't heard that episode yet go back and have a listen um a yeah. few episodes ago but it, it really inspiring but he came over at like 14 15 or maybe 16 at, at the latest um seemingly on his own it's just and, yeah. he, and he's coming from you know not even just across in france or something he's come from <coughs> miami miami yeah. um you know it's, it's yeah. amazing what these 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 kids do um now listen we we've kept you long enough but we do have a final three uh questions which are brought to you by rodin cars um shall i kick off this week harry yeah go for it trevor what's got you excited at this very moment being on this show. Ah, yes. Finally, someone it's said it. Easy. Easy, <laughs> easy one, that. Easy one. Easy. We love to see it. Um, okay. If not doing what you've done and what you've ended up doing, working in motorsport, running your own team, what would you have done? What would you be doing? Um, I would have probably liked to have been a property developer. Ah, smart as well. That's where the money is. Yeah. 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 I'd have chased the money. Yeah. <laughs> This day and age. Uh, well, final question for you, and then we'll let you get on with your day. What are you scared of? Scared of uh, uh, failure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've been in situations where um, I've been in places where companies have gone bust and haven't been able to carry on, um, and it it drives me. 
Yeah. Um, it makes me, you know, get up every morning, come to work, and keep working. And, and failure, and I've got, a, you know, I've got seventy-five people I need to pay every month. Yeah. Um, so making sure I can do that. So yeah, fear of failure. Well, well, you're not you're not the first one, and you're not the last one to say that either. But uh, I think that just about brings us to the end. But Trevor, what an absolute pleasure it has been to uh, to spend a bit of time chat with you, getting to know you a bit better, and your teams uh, throughout the various different championships that you're a part of. Carlin is an absolute institution of motorsport, and any motorsport fan would have absolutely uh, have heard of you. So, it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you, Trevor. Thank you so much for coming on to the Motormouth podcast. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Been, we, could, we could have carried on for hours. Before you go, one. Final reminder to check out Rodin Cars. Forget a one-off experience. With Rodin and the Rodin FZ, you can become and live the life of an elite performance driver. With your very own Rodin FZ, you'll be able to drive a truly remarkable supercar. Hunt down lap time and search for ultimate performance. A solo cockpit, but never alone. With Rodin's incredible after-sale partnership, you'll be looked after on and off track with an official Formula Racing team running and maintaining your vehicle. And as an exclusive owner of a Rodin car, you'll get exclusive access to their circuit in New Zealand. So what are you waiting for? To find out how you can own the F1 lifestyle, find the perfect racing line, enjoy the thrill of a roaring engine and experience the purity of driving, visit rodin-cars.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Motormouth podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at Motormouth underscore, Instagram at Motormouth underscore official and Facebook, just search Motormouth. You can also download the Motormouth app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review, and until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.